It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hi, welcome to Misdeeds and Intrigue. I'm your host, Larissa. And I'm your host, Carrie. We have so much to get to today. Well, let's get right into it. What do you think about that Murdaugh sentencing? Oh, I am so fascinated. Good morning, Your Honor. I'm innocent. I would never hurt my wife, Maggie, and I would never hurt my son, Pawpaw. This has been perhaps one of the most troubling cases, not just for me as a judge, uh, for the state, for the defense team, but for all of the citizens in this community, all the citizens in this state, and as we've seen based on the media coverage throughout the nation, you have a wife who's been killed, murdered, a son savagely murdered, a lawyer, a person from a respected family who has controlled justice in this community for over a century, a person whose grandfather's portrait hang at the back of the courthouse that I had to have ordered removed in order to ensure that a fair trial was had by both the state and the defense. I mean, I get the fact he got up there and he's like, let me tell you all the bad things I did, but I didn't kill my wife kind of thing. I, I, like, who else did it otherwise? That kid doing his Snapchat video has no idea. Like, he blew apart his dad's. Yeah. Parents. I love it. Paul, <laughs> in the afterlife, you brought your father down. And the other thing is, is like, who takes out this commercial insurance policy on the property three weeks before they kill their... He made $4.5 million off of that policy after she died, right? And they paid it out. What morons are paying? He just kept on getting paid out. What I thought was amazing about that was the judge was a rock star. I listened to the whole Mm -hmm. sentencing and one sentence was, I mean, there were reporters or whoever was behind him and this woman's expression and what she mouthed. She was like, wow. So the judge said, Over the past century, your family, including you, have been prosecuting people here in this courtroom, and many have received the death penalty, probably for lesser conduct. It's amazing. All of his family were solicitors. The judge talked about how Paul and Maggie were going to be visiting him every night in his jail cell. You're going to have to live with that. They're going to be, and, you know, Murdoch was like, yes, they come to me every day. I'm like, he has like those cold black eyes. You yeah. can't tell me this guy was the biggest narcissistic sociopath who only was concerned for his own life. And by the way, something's going to happen with Mr. Buster. Something's coming yeah. down the pike for Mr. Buster because yeah. that Stephen murder is still out there and no one has investigated that. And something's going to turn up on Mr. Buster, who's sitting there in the audience with with Alex's brother, like, oh, this is shocking. We yeah. can't believe Daddy got convicted. 
do you think it's even possible for him, I'll cut this out, to have that much of an expensive pill habit? Because I don't think you can spend, I don't think you can take 400 pills a day. Like, I just don't think it's possible. I, it's lifestyle. It's like, everything was like, we need this, we need that, we need vacations, you know. And by the way, maybe he was giving some of the pills to his kids to sell. Who knows? Oh, that's you know, I'm true. Sure, sure Buster at college could have made a few dollars off of opioids. Before he got kicked out for plagiarism. Yeah. And by the way, Paul and his, Paul was a raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And who's to say that he didn't pop a few pills? I mean, I know that which one was it who said dad you need to get clean and Paul actually did yeah but I'm not sure that you know who yeah. knows if he even dabbled in that maybe he was just straight up do you think they were like fighting because I think Paul went first right do you think they were fighting at, or like that he just lost his temper and picked up the gun do you think it was pre-planned like what do you think those last moments were like do you think they realized they were being shot by their father or their husband no, but I think it was definitely pre-planned because why would he take out that huge insurance True. policy on the property? Um, I think that stuff was getting very messy mm-hmm. and Paul's misdeeds were going to expose the family and expose Alex for pro- probably probably a prison sentence, but you know, probably a lesser yeah. one at that point um, with the boat accident. Yeah. The Stephen, I forgot this poor kid's last name, the Stephen killing and the maid, by the way. So I think a lot of this was probably bubbling on the surface. And I believe Maggie was standing up for her son. Yeah. And that's why she had to go. Mm -hmm. So. And she was asking questions because some of her, her checks were get bouncing and stuff. Yeah. So, and plus she was in talks with a divorce attorney. Yeah. So. They both had to go because they're not going to ruin Mr. Alex's fabulous lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And Buster is just like, I'm going to be over here in my corner uh, doing my thing, getting kicked out of college. Just don't mind me. Nothing to see here. What a twisted family. I mean, I honestly think this this guy is responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the maid falling down the stairs. Why would he immediately immediately say we're going to take out a wrongful death suit, you know, it was accident. I'm going to approach my assurance. And why would he say that unless he knew he was guaranteed to get that money and he could railroad it back to himself? Did you hear the 911 call of Maggie, how she's like annoyed with the operator? No. Oh, you've got to hear it. She ends up putting, I think, Buster or Paul on the phone. If she does not like responding appropriately, but she is awake. Man, she's not, no, she's not responding. Okay, I just, I, I've already got them on the way. Me asking questions does not slow them down, man. Knowing if she's conscious is one of the things that the medic needs to know if she's responding really. at all to you. No. Okay, so she's not responsive at all. Well, I mean, she's mumbling. Okay, so she is somewhat conscious. Um, is she breathing okay? Yes. Is she bleeding from anywhere? Yes, her head. Hey, are you guys able to control the bleeding? No. Can you put a clean rag or anything on it? Yeah, I got it. Okay, is she bleeding from, like, her face, the back of the head? I've got an ambulance coming. Sir, my name what? Where exactly is she bleeding from on her head? 
I'm not sure at the top of her head. Okay. But it's like it's like she was like put out like she's being so snarky with the with the nine one one. Why are you asking so many yeah, questions? Exactly. Oh, I thought that was Alex. That was her. Yeah, that was her. Oh wow! So yeah, that makes me think that that yeah. I mean, is it plausible the dogs could have pushed her down the stairs? Yes, because they had a million and one hunting dogs, and I'm sure they weren't you know the yeah the tame you know mm-hmm. sit dog. I'm yeah. sure they were just crazy. But I don't know. With their track record, mm-hmm. I just don't know. No, I, I mean, I that's agree. five deaths in the same family. Mm-hmm. People, how many, you know, most families go through, every family goes through life with no suspicious deaths. How do you have five suspicious deaths surrounding you, your family where your family name is mentioned? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, we had one, I think I told you my cousin died kind of mysteriously, but uh-huh. like, it's been very difficult to get the police to kind of investigate it or anything. And so I was like, but they're more like backwoods. It's not like we're like this oh, big wow, family yeah. name and they're not going to ask questions. Uh-huh. So you add in already that kind of mentality to small town. They probably don't have the police force or whatever. So they were like literally ruling this town. They were like royalty. Yes, that's a, absolutely it. They they made the law of the town. And I'm so happy that all those people on that Netflix documentary got a chance to speak out and say, listen, we've been under this man's thumb for far too yeah. long. You know, the parents who went to school with him, mm-hmm. the kids who went to school with his kids, you know, you just can't get away with it. I really feel bad for the kids who were involved in that accident Yeah, me too. because all of them said we didn't want to be there. We begged him and I know they could have taken an Uber, but you're at that fragile age of 18, 19, where you're like, well, I'm just going to go along with it. He hasn't killed us yet. You don't want to get in a fight with your friend. And I do think he was just kind of like the center of everything. I just think people just didn't stand up to Paul. He, he would start doing some weird things with his hands. But the biggest thing I looked at is like his eyes. It was like he was looking through you, you know? But all it was, was he was trying his best to understand what you're saying, you know? Because he's so drunk that he he can't really function. People would say, oh, he, he looks scary, you know what I'm saying? He looks like he's about to kill me. No, he's just trying to understand you. The thing a lot of people know about Paul is he, he liked attention. Uh, and I think I think that was where that drinking part came from. Something troubled him enough to make him drink the way he drank. You drink like that to escape something. Now you do wonder with Paul, did he truly know that drinking as much was bad? Did he truly know that there really are consequences when you do something? You know, because maybe he didn't. I don't know. Morgan said that a couple times she would try to tell his mom, Maggie, about how Paul would be drinking too much, and she would kind of just blow it off. His family just looked the other way and thought it was funny, and that would have put such a blemish on the family. They didn't want to choose that option and say, let me send him to a rehab. You know, and then did you watch it where the girlfriend was saying how she felt that Maggie and Alex just let him get away with murder because they preferred Buster? literally let him get away with you know yeah I, he was like the the 
He was like the Harry. No, yeah. <laughs> no, he wasn't. I mean, Harry definitely got more attention. But yeah. I think it was him like trying to call out for attention constantly. Yeah. Oh, I can't measure up to my brother who also failed in life. So I'm just going to drink myself under the table. And, yep. you know. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing Harry. is very. Yeah. The whole thing is. But yeah, I just wonder what their last moments were. Like, did they realize who was shooting them? Yeah, because Maggie, Maggie got shot, what, four times and she was running away. Yeah, I was she the first to go down or was I thought Paul was because she was in the act of running away and he had a different gun for her. So he she must have seen that go down and was like, oh, shit, this guy's serious. Yeah, there had to be some also. Uh, why make up the story for that night if you didn't know you were going to be there? He had to be able to get all three of them out there by those dog kennels. Yeah. I don't think this would have worked as well if he were in the house and there were blood spatter patterns over walls and floors. That's really true. And there's probably no cameras down there, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't have cameras to have hunting dogs. Yeah. How do you not have cameras by your kennels? I thought that was kind of weird. I know. Those are some of like really expensive hunting dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And they're living and you're not there full time. How do you not have cameras to be able to check on them? And wasn't that the shed or the barn where they also parked their plane? Oh, I didn't even know about that part. Oh yeah. They had a shed where they they had like a, a grass landing strip for this small lightweight plane. Yeah. And they parked it in, I think that shed that that barn then i'm definitely used, surprised you don't have a camera then yeah I, it just seems weird to me that they wouldn't have a camera but if you're gonna commit murder maybe they did have a camera and they took that shit down true or he took he took that shit down because this is not federal so he's not going to go to the nicer federal prisons i wonder where he's no. gonna go and are they gonna how's he gonna I, do in the population <laughs> i really wish they could extradite him to thailand because that is one of the most <laughs> That is the worst prison system in the world, I think. You know, let's send him to a Middle East or Thai prison or Malaysian prison and let him have some fun. You know, let him have some roaches, some feces. Let's get all that in the mix. I've read a book about prison in Bali. It's really good. It's like snowing, snowing in Bali, I think. Step behind the bars of the infamous Bangkok Hilton, and it's the number of women that's overwhelming, the number who've taken the gamble, nearly 6,000 in this one small jail. Most have thrown their lives away for drugs. With the average sentence, 25 years or more, many will die in this place. It's not a good life. By day, the prison operates as a sweatshop, the women filling in the endless hours, learning skills they'll never use. By night, they fill the cells like sardines. How many women are in this cell? 200. 200 women in here? Yes. How do they fit? I'm Tara. Tara, I've got a handshake. Most inmates are here because of drugs, including Australians, Bobby Hallowell and Robert Foley. So you don't have to worry, I'm not going to speak bad. They agreed to talk to us about life in Bang Quang, but Thai authorities insisted we film them from behind. It's deadening, it deadens your soul. It just turns, for me, I, I can't speak for anyone else, it just turns me hard. The prison's so overcrowded, it's like a time bomb ticking, waiting to go off. 
you sit here and you tell me how terrible the conditions are here, but it doesn't look that bad. You look beautiful, do. Makeup, my dear. Cosmetic. Snow job. Why don't they let you come in the hellhole? I thought you had to die to go to hell, but hell is right here. What would your reaction be? Life in prison? I haven't got much life left anyway. There'd be some who'd think hell is too good for Bobby Halliwell. Having already served a five-year sentence for an earlier drug offence in Thailand, he's now in for life for trying to smuggle heroin to Australia. What were you doing with the heroin? You know the rules and regulations of this country. When you're addicted to a heroin, you don't think about any rules. All you're thinking about is every day getting something to feel normal or whatever you want to be again. Are you still a drug addict? No, no. I haven't used any drugs for a year. But if you want them, it's here. Everything's here except a woman. I feel embarrassed. I feel ashamed of myself. He claims he's innocent, but Thai police accuse Robert Foley of being the Australian link in an international drug trafficking ring. Now in his seventh year in jail, he's still waiting for his appeal to be heard. Is it hard to hold on to your sanity? It is, yes. But, uh, I mean, there's guys that walk around here, I kid you not, they're zombies. These are Westerners and I'm talking to them and I'm thinking, my God, am I you? But I'm not. I'm not like that. I've I've, I've maintained a high level of sanity, I think. Or a Turkish prison. I don't know if you saw Midnight Express, but you were probably way too young. A friend of mine had come back from Istanbul, and he had a couple of thin plaques of hash in his his money belt. He said, it's cheap. We sell it on the street. I thought, hmm, that's an interesting idea. And uh, next thing I know, I was heading towards Istanbul to uh, bring some hash back. Seemed like a good idea at the time. The PLO had just blown up the jets and people were beginning to get searched and body frisks at the airport. And in I strolled with uh, four pounds of pot under my arms. I knew my whole life hung in the balance and this guy started to search me and he, he hit the hard plaques under my arms and he kept going. And he hit these hard plaques around my waist and he kept going, again, down my legs, towards my boots. His, his gun was literally shaking. And he, he lifted my sweater up, and it, it took him a moment, but I could just see the change on his face when he realized he said Esral, which is the Turkish word for hashish. And they were all so happy and relieved. All of a sudden, oh, good, it's just Esral. It's not some mad bomber about to hit the switch. And everybody was all relieved except me because it was the beginning of a very long five years. Ciao, darling. Says Rona Barrett. Rex Reed called it a colossal triumph. Months before its release, it stunned and overwhelmed a special preview audience. It's the movie they couldn't wait to talk about. The movie is Midnight Express. He was a 20-year-old American boy, up against a system he didn't understand, spoken in a language he couldn't speak. He was beyond the help of his parents and the power of the United States government. And yet, he triumphed. His name is Billy Hayes. His story is true. And his ordeal is so incredible, it will change you forever. The movie is Midnight Express.
still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. me again and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at miss intrigue pod follow us on pinterest and flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty chronicles of interesting events in history and of course true crime lastly check out our youtube channel because everyone has one right that features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.